In Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 24, Acts chapter 18, verse 24, through chapter 19, verse 7, two incidents happen. They're very similar. In each case, Christians have to explain to some confused people some things that they don't understand about the Christian faith. And so what I want to talk about today is what does it mean to believe? And I'll start by talking about two things, jello and concrete. Jello has no shape, right? It, it, it doesn't look like anything. It just sort of molds to whatever you put it in. If you put it in a, you put it in a bunch of little jars, they'll be shaped like little jars. You put it in a huge thing to cut up, and it'll look like that. It has no shape, it, no being of its own. It just takes on the contours of wherever it is you happen to pour it before you put it in the fridge. It's shapeless. You try and nail jello to a wall, it will not work so well. Concrete is the opposite. Concrete is concrete. It's hard, unyielding, inflexible. It hurts when you fall on it. My sister has this crumbling concrete outside her, um, her house in this walkway leading to her house from the sidewalk, and it's crumbling to bits. And every time I see this one stretch of sidewalk, I think that if I were a little kid and I fell, my knee would be so destroyed by this ripped up concrete, right? It's, it's hard and icky. There's no warmth, there's no softness, there's no heart to concrete. It's just a slab, just a hard slab, and it's not very inviting. So today we're going to see two instances, like I said, where Christians have to help people understand what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to believe. So keep these two images in your head, concrete and jello as we think through God's word this morning. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Is it enough if our heart is in the right place, if what we actually believe is totally wrong? What about if we know the right things and we have the right facts rattling around in our heads, but our relationship with God is very icy, very frigid, very cold, very formal? What if that was our relationship with God? Is that right? So we're going to be in Acts chapter 18, verse 23, through chapter 19, verse 7. And the way we're going to proceed, so you have a road map to know where we're going in the sermon, is we're going to go through three steps. Step one is we're going to meet Apollo, Apollos in Ephesus. Step two, we're going to, be going to meet 12 other people in Ephesus sometime after Apollos leaves. And then step three, we're going to answer the question together, what, is it, what does it actually mean to believe? So let's pray, and we'll go ahead and begin. Dear Lord, we wish this morning, I hope, we wish to see Jesus, to know him better, and to love him more. And by your Spirit's power, we ask that you give us the eyes and heart to see his glory this morning. Through Christ's name we pray. Amen. We have left Corinth. Paul was in Corinth for about a year and a half. He left there, and now we read, verse 23, after some time there... He, after some time in Corinth, he left and traveled from place to place in the region of Galatia, in the district of Pergia, strengthening all the disciples. He left Corinth, he went back home to Antioch, spent a little bit of time there, and now he's, he's wandering around visiting some of the churches he's already been. He's wandering around southern Turkey and that whole, that whole area over there. But meanwhile, flash to Ephesus, verse 24. A certain Jew named Apollos arrived in Ephesus. He was a native of Alexandria, was well-educated and effective in his use of the scriptures. So it's hard unless we see a map. These are people from all over the place, right? <clears throat> These are not just one ethnic group of people from one place. Alexandria is 
it was and still is in Egypt. So we're down here, Alexandria. This is where Apollos is from. The Christian faith began in Jerusalem, and they are in Ephesus, which is up here. This is Turkey. This is a modern map, and Ephesus is right there. So these are people from, from everywhere. Apollos has come from Alexandria. It's where he's from, and here he is in Ephesus. So if, if, if you are ever told or you're ever presented with an allegation that Christianity is a, is a, is a Western religion, that's not true. We have a guy from, we have a guy from northern uh, from Egypt. We have a religion that began in Jerusalem, and we have an incident taking place in Turkey. Okay, these are, this is a multiculturalism to the nth degree. So here he is. Apollos is there. He's from Alexandria. He's well-educated and effective in, in his use of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and spoke as one stirred up by the Spirit. We never met Apollos before. If you've read 1 Corinthians, you know there's some sort of favoritism going on where some people in the church in Corinth like uh, prefer Paul, some people prefer Apollos, and that's, that's the first you hear about this guy. But here he is. This is his introduction. He knows who the Lord is. He ha he's, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He has, uh, there, there's a, a supernatural uh, power about him. Not that he's supernatural, but I mean, he, he's clearly... He's clearly filled with the Holy Spirit. He knows the Lord, right? He's not a charlatan. He taught accurately the things about Jesus, even though he was aware only of the baptism John proclaimed and practiced. So what's that mean? What's that mean? He doesn't know that Jesus has come. What did John, what did John preach? John told everyone to repent because the Messiah was coming. Apollos heard this from someone. Maybe he was there. Maybe his brother was there. Maybe he live-streamed it on YouTube. I don't know, but he heard about the message, John message, the Messiah is coming, repent, and Apollos did. He knows everything, but he's sort of missing the last act. He doesn't know Jesus has already come. But everything else is fine. He's preaching everything John said. John the Baptist's message was, the Messiah is coming. You need to prepare your hearts. All of y'all who call yourselves insiders in God's family, prepare your hearts and stop being hypocrites. Get ready for the Messiah to come. In Isaiah chapter 40, we have this image of, of all the mountains and all the valleys, all the obstructions between where the Lord's coming from and Jerusalem. It's all been flattened, right? It's all been flattened out. Now you have this huge, broad, 20-lane highway that leads right from wherever it is the Lord is coming all the way to Jerusalem. And this is imagery. There really won't be a 20-lane highway, uh, I promise. And we have this image of the Lord gathering up all his sheep as he's walking on the way, gathering up more and more sheep. He even gathers up these, these crippled little lambs who can't walk. He gathers them up and holds them in his arms, and he's leading this proud, joyous parade of all of his people from exile all the way to Jerusalem to make everything better, to make everything right. And John was saying, don't you want to be a part of this? You want to join him now. You don't want to, you don't want to be one of the guys who's there when he comes who are against him. Repent. Be serious. Love the Lord. And that's what Apollos is doing. He's doing the same message. He's preaching the same message. He has been instructed in the way of the Lord. He's stirred up by the Spirit. He taught accurately the things about Jesus. He just doesn't know Jesus has already come, which is kind of a big deal. So he needs to, he needs to have some gaps 
filled in. Verse 26, he began speaking with confidence in the synagogue. We don't know where this guy came from. Where was he? He's from Alexandria. Did he come straight there? Did he stop somewhere else? We don't know anything about this guy, but he found his way there to Ephesus. And he's going to the synagogue telling the Jewish people the same thing John did. Repent and let's, let's get right. Let, let's get right and get our hearts ready to receive the Messiah. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they received him into their circle of friends and explained to him God's way more accurately. Priscilla and Aquila are two people who Paul left in Ephesus to start a church. They started the church together. They were put there to start the church. And here, Priscilla, again, is listed first because she's apparently this, I don't know if you would say she's a spiritual leader. She seems to, have the, she seems to be the more dynamic and more, more, uh, more knowledgeable of the two, and this is just the role she often takes. When you see Priscilla and Aquila listed, most of the time she's listed first. And it's she, along with her husband, who go and pull him aside saying, you have almost everything right, but Jesus has already come. And can you imagine Apollos' face? He's already come. He's probably like, what? He's already come. So they explain that to him. She explains with her husband assisting, and he now fully understands the message of the Messiah. We don't need to wait for the Messiah. He's already come. It's an even better message. Verse 27, when he wanted to travel to Achaia, which is um, southern Greece where Corinth is, which is just across the Aegean Sea, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples so they would open their homes to him. So they gave him a letter of recommendation to go to Corinth, which is where we find him in the book of 1 Corinthians, where the people in Corinth really like him. He goes to Corinth to assume some sort of teaching responsibilities in the church there. Some people like to stay in one place. You know, like the guys who pastor a church for 50 years and other people, they're moving around all the time. Apollos is the guy who moves all the time. He appears in Ephesus, is there for a little while. He wants to skip across and go to Corinth where he apparently stays for at least some time. So they give him a letter of recommendation. Once he arrived in Achaia, the province where Corinth is, he was of great help to those who had come to believe through grace. How do people believe? How do people believe? What's your, what's your text say at the end of verse 27? It was of great help to those who'd come to believe through grace. Through grace. The only reason why anyone comes to faith in Jesus is through God's grace. To send the Holy Spirit to change your mind, to change your heart, to convict you. That's the only way any of us believe. We have to make our own decision, but we're only going to make that decision if beforehand... The Lord, by his grace, softens our heart, changes our heart, convicts us, changes our mind. So Apollos is straightened out. He goes to Corinth, and he does really well. Verse 28, he would vigorously defeat Jewish arguments in public debate using the scriptures to prove that Jesus was the Christ. There's content there. There is a Messiah. We've been waiting for him. His name is Jesus. He's already come. This is why. Right? We're not talking about jello. We're talking about actual content. It's nice that your heart's in the right place, but you need to actually, you know, the Christian faith has content. You can't just shape it to make it whatever you want. Jesus is the Christ. Who is the Christ? He's the guy Moses talked about. He's the guy David talked about. He's the guy everyone has spoken about, all of the scriptures, and Jesus is him. He's come. And they would say, well, I don't understand. And he would 
discuss and he would defeat them in argument. He's a great apologist. That's Apollos in Ephesus. And then off to Corinth. Now we get to something more interesting, something different. Apollos was missing a few pieces, but he, he had it, right? He, he had John's message, and he knew it, and he was waiting for the Messiah. He just didn't know the Messiah had come. Now we get to some other folks who are also in Ephesus. While Paul, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took a route through the interior and came to Ephesus, where he found some disciples. And apparently these people have had no contact with the church, Priscilla and Aquila's church that they lead together, because they, they, they're really confused. And you might wonder, well, if they had a church in Ephesus, how come these folks haven't found them? Well, let's, if you're thinking that, how come Priscilla and Aquila haven't found them? How come they haven't sought out Christians in this city? Well, Ephesus is kind of a big city. Have you sought out every single church in, in Olympia, Lacey, Tumwater? Are there church? We were driving the other day in Yelm on this back road. There's a Calvary Chapel back there. I never even knew it existed. So there's all kinds of stuff going on in cities that you have no idea about. I know it's crazy, but this is a small group of 12 people who didn't seem to realize there was a Christian community already in Ephesus. And Paul, as he's going about and deliberately finding and inserting himself into situations where he can talk to folks, he comes across these people. No one's ever spoken, no Christians have spoken to them before. And they're, they're really confused. It says he found some disciples, some people who claim to be disciples. Verse 2, he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you came to believe? The Holy Spirit. This is an experiential question. He's not asking a question about facts rolling around in your head. He's asking, have you experienced the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us life, awakens us from, our, from spiritual deadness, gives us spiritual life. The Holy Spirit's the conduit for God to communicate to us. Romans chapter 8 talks about that. The conduit that assure, gives us God's love and assurance, uh, gives us life, gives us a sense of belongingness. The Holy Spirit is, in some respect, is like the, the Wi-Fi signal through which God communicates with us. The Holy Spirit brings God present with us and unites us to him. It's the channel God uses to transform us. There's an experiential thing about the Holy Spirit working in your life, saving you, like your salvation experience, and his continued presence with you as Jesus promised in John 14. The comforter, the helper who's going to come, who's going to take Jesus's place as your constant companion. This is an experiential question, and Paul wants to know, you say you're Christians, have you, have you experienced the Holy Spirit? He doesn't ask doctrine right away. He asks, have you experienced God's union with you, the Spirit who adopts us into God's family? Have you received the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They replied, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. But John said there would be a Holy Spirit, didn't he? He said there's going to be one who comes after me, whose shoes I'm not worthy to, 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 to untie, and he's going to baptize you with what? With what? Holy Spirit and with fire. John was very clear. The Holy Spirit is going to accompany this Messiah. So when Paul asks that question, he asks it on purpose, and they say, I don't even know what Holy Spirit you're talking about. So clearly, there's some confusion, there's some garbledness, right? This is an internet connection that's really broken up. 
Verse 3, then he said, well, what baptism did you receive then? And they answered, John's baptism. It's like they've heard John's message like fifth hand and they have pieces of it, but it's really not all coming together. It's, it's like watching a video where it's buffering and it's not connecting here, okay? So Paul needs to explain to them, these people aren't like Apollos. Apollos had everything and really understood. He just didn't know Jesus had come. These guys, they just have a few random pieces that they're trying to like smash together and make into something. These guys are confused. So Paul explains in verse 4, which is, this is my translation on the screen. Paul said, John immersed with a repentance baptism that told the people to trust or believe in the one who was coming after him. That man is Jesus. So what's he telling him? He's like, you guys are confused. John's baptism didn't do anything for you. It was a baptism where you're pledging, you're pledging to God that you have repented and that you're waiting for the, for, the, for the real one who's coming after. And that one is Jesus. And he's come. You're not disciples unless you, unless you agree with this, but you seem confused. Do you agree with this? This is who you need to trust. This is what John's baptism is about. And verse 5, after they listened to Paul, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And now something amazing happens here. I don't know if you've noticed this before. When you think about Pentecost, which is coming soon, you think about Acts chapter 2. But there are two other Pentecosts, smaller Pentecosts. There was one at Cornelius' house where God poured the Holy Spirit out, tongues of fire, miraculously they can now speak all sorts of foreign languages and teach at Cornelius' house, saying, God does accept people who aren't Jewish too. Imagine that. And everyone was shocked and astonished. And here, there's a third Pentecost, a second miniature Pentecost. Verse 6, they're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, believing in Jesus. Now they're baptized, knowing what baptism means. And then in verse 6, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in other languages and prophesying, teaching. Altogether, there were about 12 people. This is the third Pentecost, where God is again publicly putting this seal of approval on these confused, these confused poor people who've heard, who've heard random bits and pieces from John's message, but don't really understand anything. But now they've understood. Now they accept it, and God is visibly, publicly again saying, I approve of these people. These are my people. It's not just Jewish people in Jerusalem who can join my family. It's anyone from anywhere, even some really confused guys and gals in Ephesus who've been taught the truth and now accept it. They're just as much a part of my family as those original folks were in Jerusalem. Same gifts, same public, supernatural manifestation of gifting, speaking in other languages or speaking in tongues, which means languages, and prophesying. Altogether, there were about 12 people. What are we supposed to learn from these two events, right? This isn't the book of Romans. This isn't one of the letters. This isn't Second Peter where he's like arguing a point and he's trying to get you to do something. This is just relating history. What are you and I supposed to do with these two events in history? Two groups of people well, one guy and another and one group. Both are confused. One's more confused than the other. 
And that's the passage. What are you supposed to do with this today? Are you just supposed to walk out of here saying, well, I'm glad Apollos got straightened out and just go to lunch? What are you supposed to do with this today? What does it mean to believe? There's two things we need to think about. One, jello is not the answer, right? The faith has, Christian faith has content. You need to know Christ. You need to believe in Christ. You need to know things, right? You need to know certain things. Christianity does have content. You can't just shape it into whatever you want and call it Christianity. It's not a blob of feelings. So jello is not good. But what about concrete? Is concrete the answer? Hard, unyielding, stiff, no warmth, just concrete? Is that the answer? We need to believe, we do need to believe the right things, but because we can't redefine reality, right? The Mariners are not going to win the World Series. The Seahawks will definitely not win the Super Bowl now. To believe, other, to believe that this coming year they will win the Super Bowl is to believe in a team that does not exist, right? It doesn't exist. You can choose to believe it, but it's not reality, right? Russell Wilson is gone, right? It's not going to happen right now, maybe next year, right? So you can choose to believe that they'll win, but they won't, right? It's a fact. It's not going to happen this year. Christianity, you can't just make it what you want. You have to believe in the content. Now, when, you, when we come to repent and believe in Jesus, in the real Jesus, that God's Son has come to rescue us from ourselves, he's come and he's, he's been perfect because we can't be perfect, so he's perfect for us. We do bad things, we break God's law, and we, we have to pay for it, but he paid for us. We're in captive to Satan. He's our, he's our master, so to speak. We're in bondage. We're slaves. But because Jesus was never a captive to Satan and triumphed over him, if we follow Jesus, he breaks those chains away, and we can just follow him right out of prison if we want. And that Christians are gathered into churches which are like embassies for God's message. And Christians are ambassadors who work out of those embassies, who go out wherever it is they go, Wherever you work, wherever you live, we're, we're ambassadors for God's message, for Jesus' message. And God is up there in heaven liberating people all over this world through his Son by the power of the Spirit. Like, there's, a, there's content to the Christian message. So what does it mean to believe in Jesus? There's, I told you to remember jello and concrete. Both of these are opposite extremes that need to be avoided. First, concrete is bad. Don't be an icy, believing in Jesus is not an icy thing, a cold thing, a, a, a stiff thing with no joy. No, does this guy look like someone you want to hang out with? Does he look like a fun-loving guy? Does this guy, does, is warmth radiating out from the screen upon you? Hey, do not be a Puritan, right? This is not, we don't need to be like this, right? All knowledge in the head, but where is the heart? All things you can't do, but where's love? All It's just cold, right? Doctrine's important. Knowledge is important. It's good to know, it's, it's good to know that the canonic theories of Jesus' incarnation probably aren't the best idea. But there's more, to, there's more to your faith than cold, icy facts that rattle around in your head. There's more than books to a relationship with Jesus, okay? So this guy, probably not. But we still need to know things. But we don't need to be Puritan icebergs. And we also don't need to be plates of strawberry jello. 
hippies. Just love. We just need to love and show love and love. But there's really nothing there. It's just a bunch of words, right? Just love. Love, peace, rock and roll. Just, just, just mushy love, right? But with no content. Both of those are extremes. We need to take the best of both of these. Knowledge is important, but so is so is is love and right understanding. So we have like a cross, like a Puritan sort of hippie thing. Uh, a cross of both, and I worked very hard on this image, uh, by the way. So I worked very hard on the, trying to take the best of both tendencies. I want to make sure I know the right things about Jesus. What's it mean to believe in Jesus? I want to know the right things, and that's good. We also need to, we also need to have, 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 love and, and, and understanding and sincerity and, and warmth to our relationship with the Lord, not just a bunch of icy facts. We need to take the best of both impulses, not everything from both impulses, and combine them together, which produces the monstrosity that's on your screen, which is supposed to be a joke. Jesus understood this, right? Probably not this. I'm going to wait from there. Uh, Jesus understood this in Mark chapter 12 when the, the lawyer comes and asks him what's the most important commandment, right? He, he's, a, he's the legalistic guy, and he wants to know what's the biggest thing I need to do, and I'm going to make sure I do that, right? There's no heart there. It's just, you know, what are the things I must believe? That's it. And Jesus answers him, and we, most of us know the answer. He's quoting from Deuteronomy 6, and this is what he says. He quotes this, and this is my translation from the Greek version of uh, the Old Testament. Listen, Israel, this is what Jesus says is the most important commandment. God is Lord. Our Lord is one. You must love the Lord your God, your whole mind, with all your soul, and all your strength. You have both there, right? If you go back to poor Jonathan Edwards, you have, you have tendencies of both there. Number one, you need to know that God is Lord. You need to know that he's one. He's not two. He's not three. He's not five. There is one single, unique, only Lord. You need to know that and believe it. You can't just make him up, right? He has content. You need to know who he really is. But then, the other part, you need to know things, but then you must love the Lord, who is your God. Love him how? With your whole mind? With, what's it mean to love with all your soul? What's that mean? Help me. What's it mean to love something with all your soul? What's it saying? Like, it's like with, with everything. Like with all of you. Your whole self. With all your soul. Like, I love you with all my heart. We know what that means. We, I love you so much. Like, everything about me. I, I love you more than, I love you to the moon and back, right? I mean, a total all-encompassing sort of thing. Love the Lord your God with your whole mind, your soul, all of your soul. It's the same word, your whole soul, and all your strength. What's it mean to love God, to love with all of your strength or all of your might? You might be used to seeing it said. What's that mean? It's talking about passion. It's talking about with energy, a fervency. It's talking about passion. The whole entire weight of all three of those faculties, your mind, where all those facts can rattle around, your, your whole soul, your whole being, and then with passion, warmth, warmth. In Isaiah 61, when Luke, when Luke, when Jesus went to his hometown synagogue in uh, Luke chapter 4, he read from Isaiah 61, and this is what he said. 
This is what Isaiah says in Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 2. God, he has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release for captives and liberation for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and a day of vindication for our God, to comfort all who mourn. And if this is the kind of thing that Jesus has come to do for all of these groups of people, then that means this rescue is going to naturally produce, number one, we want to know who rescued us, but number two, we will respond with love and gratitude, and our relationship will be warm and heartfelt and, and real. We love him because he first loved us, 1 John 4.19. So what does it mean to believe? Apollos missed it, was missing a few things, and he had to be, have, a, have a few gaps filled in, but he was fine. These other guys, they knew almost nothing. They just had some random scraps they're putting together. And in both cases, they were helped to make sure they really understood what the faith was more fully. So these two passages talk about what does it mean to believe in Jesus? What's it mean? It means, number one, not the, the icy formality of a cold shower or an arranged marriage to a stranger, or a cold, stiff, or not that, okay? And it's also not this, this sweet nothingness of cotton candy or a blob of jello. Love, all you need is love. Love is all you need. You know, just this, just nothingness, just sickening sweet cotton candy, but with no, have you ever eaten cotton candy? It does nothing for you. It just, it's just a bunch of sweet nastiness. You still need to eat food afterward because it doesn't do anything for you, but it sure tastes sweet. We need the best aspects of both. Knowledge plus love united together, which is why Jonathan Edwards is wearing a flower in his hair. So what should we do? What should you do with this? You can do many things with this. What I would suggest, a recommendation that I have of one way you can make this real, but what does it mean to believe in Jesus? Know who he is, know what the faith is, and love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, might. Love plus knowledge united together believing in Jesus's message. What should you do about this? Before you go to bed at night and when you get up in the morning, pray a simple prayer asking God two things. Number one, teach me to know you better. Teach me to know you better. Number two, teach me to love you more. Teach me to love you more. If you pray before bed or in the morning, this is a 10-second prayer that you can pray asking God, teach me to know you better, help me to love you more. So we're not just filled with random facts and book learning, but we're also not just filled with a lot of heart emojis and cotton candy fluff. We need both. We need love, warmth, heart, plus actually knowing who God is, who Jesus is, what the gospel actually is. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, your word tells us this. I cry out to you from the depths, Lord. My Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears pay close attention to my request for mercy. If you keep track of sins, Lord, my Lord, who could stand a chance? But forgiveness is with you. That's why you are honored. So Lord, all of us here have sinned against you. We've done things we shouldn't have done, and we've left undone things we should have done. And we ask as we think about our relationship with you, we think about 
facts rolling around in our heads and we think about undefinable love that has no substance. Convict us where we've gone wrong, if we've gone too far in one direction or too far in the other. Comfort us, assure us of your grace, lead us onto the right path to know you and to love you, not one versus the other. And help us to follow your son more closely so that we'd be children who would make him smile. And we ask this in Jesus' name through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.